Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smyzer de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Hey everyone, so much has happened since our last episode. The pandemic has gotten worse. We've had an uprising calling for equality and equity for, for black and brown people here in the United States and around the world. The presidential election is almost coming to a close, and Puerto Rico is having all types of issues, from new tropical storms and botched primaries to a failing electrical grid and lack of federal funding for Hurricane Maria relief efforts. All this to say, we're going to try and touch on a number of things that have happened this past summer, their effects today, and a whole lot more. But today, we're sharing an unaired episode we recorded just before the pandemic hit us hard here in Chicago. So think of this episode as a care package until our one-year anniversary this August 27th, when we'll be back with all new interviews. For today's episode, I invited Dr. Yadira Nieves Bisaro. She's the assistant professor and chair of the communications department in the Inter-American University of Puerto Rico on the Bayamon campus. I invited her on the show to discuss media activism in Puerto Rico. Keep in mind this episode was recorded before the pandemic, so some references and insights while worth listening to may be dated. Nevertheless, Yadira was kind enough to sit down and talk to us about the latest happenings in Puerto Rico at that time and how the media plays a significant role in how people and the news are covered on La Isla. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast. Thank you for listening. This is Joshua Smizer de Leon. We are not recording in the Puerto Rican cultural studios on Paseo Boricua. Instead, we're in a special location, my alma mater, DePaul University. You can't see it on the podcast, but I have my DePaul gear on. And I am at DePaul because I'm here with a very special guest. She's actually going to be speaking at an event later this evening at DePaul's Loop campus. Her name is Dr. Yadira Nieves Pizarro. She is the assistant professor and chair of the communications department in the Inter-American University of Puerto Rico Bayamon campus. Yadira, welcome to the Paseo podcast. How are you? Fine. How are you? Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you for coming. And, and late, I referenced that later today you're going to be giving a talk on the impact of media in Puerto Rico, media activism specifically. For our listeners, uh, can you explain? It, it feels a little self-explanatory, mm -hmm. but can you explain what media activism is and why it matters? Well, media activism is when groups that want to push for social change use in this context, in this day and age, social media. And through social media, they have an alternative narrative to what mainstream media 
wants to tell about them. But media activism can also happen in journalism, right? So journalists could, could also conduct a kind of media activism, which is called uh, journalistic advocacy. So in this case, activism has many ramifications and it, can be, it could be done with citizens or it could be done with media professionals such as journalists. So how would you describe how would you describe the state of journalism in Puerto Rico right now? Oh my God! And that's a loaded. I know that's a big <laughs> loaded question. Um, but I guess like you know, is it strong? Is it weak? Does it lean left? Does it lean right? Um, yes. You know, what's the state of journalism there on La Isla? Well, um, journalism in Puerto Rico is facing a lot of challenges because. I would say in the last decade, we have suffered a lot of media closures. A lot of journalists have been laid off. And you might be seeing some of these journalists open new uh, native digital publications. And But really, it's very, very cuesta arriba, as we say. Um, it's very challenging to do journalism because there is so many economic and political pressures on mainstream media. Everybody, I, I don't know if it's uh, un secreto a voces, um, <laughs> but it, it doesn't only happen in Puerto Rico. It mm -hmm. happens in the United States. It happen in, happens in different parts of Latin America where um, mainstream media relies on advertising. And these um, interests might compromise the editorial line and journalists are at the very bottom of that pyramid. Let's mm -hmm. say if we, if we see uh, um, media as a pyramid, you would see the administrators, the owners in the top, and then, then at the very bottom, um, it's the individual journalist who has his or her own ideas about politics, mm -hmm. how the economy should be dealt with. But sometimes these editorial lines um, prevent them from doing uh, meaningful work. Uh, but I have to say that um, there are journalists who challenge these notions, especially now it's easier because of the internet and podcast and media platforms where you can really do much more significant investigative journalism or advocacy journalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so would you say it's fair that in the United States, uh, sometimes it's hard for people to believe what they see, read, hear, so the term fake news is thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. So you, would you say the, the same type of situation exists in Puerto Rico, where there's people, there's citizens on La Isla that may think, oh, I don't, I don't know what to believe? Like, is it, is it hard to identify what is based in fact and what is based in opinion? I would say that there is mistrust. Mm -hmm. I, I would say it's, there is a general mistrust of the media mm -hmm. because media's, media is a business mm -hmm. and they're in the business of information. And if this information is um, sensationalized, um, where you highlight drama or conflict, where, well, people are going to consume that, but they're gonna go, they're gonna see that it's, why am, am I seeing all these fights or all this drama on TV, right? So I think that 
there is mistrust because of the type of information, the type of content that is going out there. There is also all kinds of fake information in social media. Mm. And sometimes people cannot distinguish between what is not true, um, what is opinion, and what is information based on fact. So I would say that there is generally, the people may mistrust media, but it's because we have you know, earned it because of the ways that we present the information to the public. There was a piece I read. Mm -hmm. It was the represent, representation of Latinoas in media. And there I explored a little bit about the representation of Afro-Latinos in mainstream television mm -hmm. in the United States. And uh, of course, you can see, for example, in Puerto Rico until recent years, you, you could see a blackface character on television. And that happens also on Latin America. Mm -hmm. um, people now are only starting to see that that is not right. And yeah. of course, the representation of the black community is not necessarily present mm -hmm. in advertising, in entertainment programs. So that lack of representation was what I was exploring and looking into in that article. So as a journal entry, the representation of Latinoas in media, I think it might have been there that I read. You uh -huh. referenced like the one time in media, I believe this was a TV show, Mi Familia. Yes. And that was one of the, the only times where there was a positive representation of Afro-Latino exactly. family, right? Yeah, because and that's in the 90s. That's in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It's has been almost 30 years that that program was aired. And it was the only positive uh, because it was a normal family. Mm -hmm. The only thing that they were black and they were black Puerto Ricans. Yeah. And you had Otilio Warrington Biscocho. He's a very renowned comedian in Puerto Rico. And he was, you know, the head of the family. He was mm -hmm. funny. But I mean, after that, nothing else has been done like. And, you know, it's difficult to produce entertainment television in mm -hmm. Puerto Rico. I think that television has gone the easier way out, just, you know, bringing what we call the ambiente and the media latas, right? Programas enlatados. Because they are, have, they are already produced mm -hmm. in the United States, maybe in Telemundo or Univision, and we just put it there for people to consume. We don't mm -hmm. have to invest in any production cost or scripts or producers or actors that we have to pay a lot to produce. I mean, it, it, it's you need money to produce and media is not a, a, in a position to, you know, just do quality programming. Yeah. So that's why we have the enlatados or the latas as we as we know it. Well, and normally in those types of in that type of media, it's a very European way of looking at beauty. So mm -hmm. we're not getting a lot of indigenous representation, Afro-Taino, Afro-Latino representation in those in those forms of media. Mm -hmm. um, I want to I want to use that kind of as a bridge looking at the wider world of journalism. What voices we mentioned the Afro Latin Latinx uh, representation, indigenous representation, but in addition, in addition to those, what other voices do you feel are missing in the journalism world? Are you talking about journalists or just coverage of of issues? I think coverage of issues that speak 
well to a particular mm-hmm. population. So that might be an Afro-Latinx population, an indigenous population, people in the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. I think of a story, the Alexa, the mm-hmm. Alexa Negron story and yes. how that was covered yeah. uh, initially mm-hmm. um, oh, and continues to be covered. Uh, like ha- not having representation in our journalist journalism workforce mm-hmm. kind of translates into a lack of representations that speak fully to those the real experiences of people yes. in those communities and how those stories are covered right mm-hmm. because at least when alexa was lamentablemente uh, murdered mm-hmm. in a very public way mm-hmm. the treatment that that got in in media was a mujer Eh, vestida de hombre. Mm-hmm. So you have that um, negative um, connotation when you read those stories and mm-hmm. you already see that there is not an education about how uh, we refer to the LGBTQ community. So that's why we have that other form of media activism where these activist groups take to social media mm-hmm. to try and educate and to try and push the issues of those communities forward and we've seen that it works and that's why they maybe are a little bit cautious on who they speak to Mm -hmm. because they don't know how that story is going to come out at the end Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. misrepresenting maybe what they stand for there's been so many i mean there's there's always been news coming out of puerto rico but it almost feels like since birth both the uh, hurricanes hurricanes irma and maria we've seen since 2017 whether it's reporting on the hurricanes or the ricky renuncia movement in, the, in 2019 alexa negron that we just mentioned recently in 2020 the earthquakes the mm-hmm. warehouse in ponce being discovered it almost feels like at least in the puerto rican community there is big news mm-hmm. coming out at least that that's reaching the mainland exactly so how would you in your research of journalistic practices you mentioned that there's a lot of independent journalists out there trying to use different mediums like social media to get those stories out there uh, in your research of journalistic practices what have your findings told you about their impact on content in digital and traditional media outlets what's that impact been i would say that first of all you before irma maria definitely you i i remember i did a content analysis about the coverage of the liberation of oscar lopez mm. and it was definitely not covered in the United States. But there are, in in journalism, we have some news values or some values that we attach to information or events um, in order for them to become newsworthy. So uh, Hurricane Maria, the earthquakes, and Ricky Renuncia were full of those news values. Mm-hmm. They had impact, they had consequence, um, they were disasters. I mean, Maria was a major um, uh, natural disaster. So those things um, drive media coverage in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like you would mm-hmm. see an earthquake and you would see journalists flock to that area mm-hmm. and it's how they cover it, right? And I think that sometimes, um, U.S. media, you know, sort of sensationalized um, the coverage of Maria and the coverage of of Rique Renuncia as uh, media in Puerto Rico did. But I think it's good. It's good that we're getting attention 
for problems that are in Puerto Rico. You know, it's, there are structural problems because uh, I say that the disaster is not Hurricane Maria. You know, the disaster is man-made. The disaster is the poor response that um, the government had to Puerto Ricans and in the case of the, of the earthquakes too. Um, but there are there are instances, there are people that are doing a re really good job. And I have, you know, I'm going to discuss this tonight on the, um, on the uh, event we have here in Nepal. There are some journalists and publications that are doing really good job showcasing that community part, that uh, specific, very personal uh, stories about how disasters or how politics affect people in Puerto Rico. Um, so I can talk to you about El Centro de Periodismo Investigativo, which is, uh, I would say, one of the institutions or one of the media outlets that is doing a great job covering all of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, for Hurricane Maria, for example, during that year with all the challenges that journalists had without being able to communicate with each other because there was no phones, mm -hmm. no um, cell phone uh, service, there was no internet, mm -hmm. um, roads were closed, there was no electricity for six months in many parts of the island. And they went and they did a very profound investigative journalism story about the deaths in Maria mm -hmm. because they were, the government was saying that there were 64 people dead as a consequence of the hurricane. Mm -hmm. But they have, have sources. I mean, journalists have sources everywhere. And they were people in the hospitals. Doctors were telling them, 64 died here yesterday in X uh, hospital. Mm -hmm. And they went household by household, and they interviewed people. And they have this great site. I think it's called losmuertosdemaria.com. Um, where they have the story of each and every person that they interviewed and how they died. Afterwards, um, the Centro de Periodismo Investigativo has partnership with the School of Law in the Inter-American University in Atorrey. They went to the Registro Demográfico mm -hmm. and the health department because they needed the information of the debt and the government was refusing to give them that information. So they have this partnership and they were able to get that information and they corroborated all of the store of the interviews they had done. Mm -hmm. The same thing happened recently. They are, as we speak, in court because they want the Department of Justice to give them the report on the recent finding of uh, some the warehouses, the, the, warehouses, the, in where Ponce. the warehouses in Ponce. So mm -hmm. the government did conducted an investigation, but they are refusing to give the, that information, which is public information, to journalists. So mm -hmm. we have this very important um, media outlet that is doing a great job. It was the Centro de Periodismo Investigativo also who published the chat. Uh, with a Ricky Renuncia chat. After that happened, well, all hell broke loose, <laughs> as we say, in Puerto Rico, because yep. people were very hurt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that was the spark. I mean, if we don't have responsible journalists who do this and who corroborate mm -hmm. information, then that's the role of a journalist. When we had the whole protest, that whole Ricky Renuncia movement, I mean, we saw about 
over a what a million Puerto Ricanos flood the capital and demand his re- resignation for and 15 days for 15 days unheard of it was like a master class in democracy in my in my humble opinion mm-hmm. and we're talking about 3 million people on La Isla so mm-hmm. that's a substantial chunk of the population that's just mm-hmm. and for all we know that's just the people that were able to travel yeah. to the capital yeah. and we have the diaspora also i mean here in Chicago right. New York we have people in Dallas mm-hmm. in Florida, people that are not normally expressing their political opinions, they actually go out to protest. And that is political activism. And that happened because of social media. That happened Mm -hmm. because of advocacy journalism, investigative journalism that, of course, is, uh, is giving this information to the public so the public and the audience can respond and act accordingly. You mentioned, um, you mentioned another source of information. You wrote an article, When Everything Else Fails, Radio Journalism During Hurricane Maria. And you mentioned how important it was for journalists on the radio or radio programming to kind of act as in addition to the first responders and helping to get information out there, would you say the radio and social media were the two main forms of information during the during the hurricanes or po- post-hurricanes? Well, in Puerto Rico, uh-huh. um, the only medium that was working for Puerto Ricans was radio. Mm-hmm. And it was just one, in the immediate aftermath, it was just one radio station, mm-hmm. which we would never think... Um, because it's uh, it's We're going up. back to like the 40s. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, and, yeah. and the radio station that was still on air, mm-hmm. it's I don't know if you know about this radio station. It's called Wapa Radio. Wapa Radio is a right leaning. They even have a US flag in their logo. But this uh, radio station, some years ago, the FCC ordered all radio stations and television stations to change from analog to digital. Mm -hmm. But this radio station in particular maintained both the analog and the digital um, uh, infrastructures running, right? So when internet was out, Mm -hmm. when there was no communication, the only signal that was working was the analog signal, as you say, Mm -hmm. going back to the 40s. (laughs) So this right-leaning, pro-statehood radio station was the only one that was on air. So we had the, I would say, the blessing. I don't know. Some people are not maybe uh, too fond of them, but I would say they, these three journalists did a really good job. Luis Penchi, Jesus Rodriguez Garcia, and Ismael Torres. They were there. I remember I interviewed those three journalists for the paper, and when I asked them, so what was your preparedness plan? And they said, like, we had no preparedness plans. We just had some bottles of water and some cookies, um, some galletitas, exporsodas, you know, the ones that mm-hmm. we uh, eat, yeah. we take with soda um, crackers. Yeah, soda yeah. crackers. Uh-huh. And that was it. We had no preparedness plan. It was just being here until we could, you know, broadcast on air. And they had only one phone line that survived because then again, everybody has changed right. their landline for a cell phone. So they had a landline in that, the studio. That very 1940s radio oh. station yeah. still had a landline, right? Okay. And with mm-hmm. that only landline, they were just talking to people. Mm-hmm. They received 
uh, information. Uh, they called whoever they could call mm -hmm. because there was no way of communicating with government officials. And people started calling them. And people started, they were the ones that were saying like, okay, so um, right now in Tuabaja, there is an emergency and this is flooding and we don't know what we're going to do. Radio was the only medium that stayed, uh, that informed people in Puerto Rico. Now, people that were outside of Puerto Rico, they were able to see the digital versions of the newspapers and the television stations because they were, they were able to put information out But people in Puerto Rico with no internet, no communication, were not able to receive uh, information that was vital um, for their survival. So I'd imagine if it's a right-leaning radio station, just thinking of right-leaning media here in the United States, I'd imagine it was, it was very opinion-based programming. Yes. So when Hurricane Maria hits post, post the hurricane, and now they have to now be uh, in line with Uh, or partners with first responders, did you see a shift in how they uh, messaged relief and recovery efforts and what was going on, Laila? Or was there a bit more opinion weaved into how they reported well, the recovery efforts? During that, as I said, during that immediate aftermath, you mm -hmm. had journalists on the front lines mm -hmm. speaking to the public talking about recovery, talking to sources that was, again, was not necessary. They were not necessarily government officials. Mm -hmm. There were doctors, there were people from the civil society. So you had journalists there. Mm -hmm. But as things started going, coming back to normal, mm -hmm. as uh, the electricity uh, came back to key areas in San Juan, then you start seeing all of this opinion commentators that yeah. are... On the same radio station? On that mm -hmm. same radio stations and other radio stations because mm -hmm. they eventually, you know, went back sure. on air. Um, let's say uh, two weeks after Hurricane hit, one or two weeks, they were already back on air. Mm -hmm. But then you start the programming, which has shifted to opinion in radio particularly, mm -hmm. coming back. And I also conducted a study with audiences mm -hmm. and people were like, okay, so when people then, you know, when these commentators came back and they started talking about politics, I just turned the radio off mm -hmm. because that's not the information that I need right now. Right. I need information about the recovery. When is the electricity coming back? Where can I get water? Because, I mean, there's nothing. Where uh, could I get uh, gas? Mm -hmm. Because there are three-hour lines on gas stations here. Yeah. So eventually everything went back to normal. Those journalists eventually also left the station. Surprise. Um, surprise. Wow. Yes. Yeah. They had a very public <laughs> exchange with the owner of that radio station um, because they were talking about, oh, look, like the trees are blossoming again. Mm -hmm. Oh, And then the other journalists answered like, yeah, but these, I, I, I'm afraid that these things, these uh, leaves are going to cover the problems, the real problems that we have again, and mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to see. And the owner called on air mm. and scolded, scolded them air? publicly. On Live? Yes, live. Oh my gosh. Publicly. And Jeez. afterwards, they, they left. So, yes. <laughs> It's a very interesting wow. story. <laughs> um. My gosh, whoa, that is, that's intense. I start to worry about the people that start consuming that type of media. It's very similar to like watching cable news. Mm -hmm. Sometimes on YouTube, I'll put on a, a clip from the cable news show, a cable news show, 
and maybe the first 30 seconds is the news. And then it's a 10 minute video. So the other nine and a half minutes are just people talking about things. And of course, in the media, you have to have both sides represented. So it ends up just being this uh, rabbit hole mm -hmm. that you end up either getting very upset or very affirmed in how you look at things. Yes. And there's not a lot of uh, people out there that are cutting through all that, mm -hmm. whether it's bochinche <laughs> or, uh, you know, spin, some mm -hmm. people would call it. Um, and that's the fake balance that yes. we have mm -hmm. because we think, okay, we need in the States, we need a Democrat and we need a, a Republican. Mm -hmm. We have the balance. And in right. Puerto Rico, okay, you need the, the statehood and the um, ELA uh, part. And, but if somebody is wrong, in college, I remember this example that they gave us in, in journalism school. You know that climate change is bad mm -hmm. uh, and that things are going on. Um, why would you give the floor to somebody who's a climate change denier if mm -hmm. you think you know that it's a hoax, right? right? So you cannot give equal time to somebody who is um, spilling out uh falsehoods yeah right? no absolutely that's a perfect example i mean i forget what the percentages of scientists that say climate change is real i thought mm -hmm. it was like 99 percent mm -hmm. uh so you would think that's enough data and enough consensus to say okay we all agree climate change is real mm -hmm. but you're absolutely right when they have these climate change discussions on you on the news it's almost as both sides are whether you're uh you believe it's uh, climate change is a hoax or it's real you have to have both sides represented. Mm -hmm. How in the world <laughs> does someone that's in the 1% represent exactly. equally on equal footing the other 99%? Exactly. And I think we can get into other like socioeconomical issues, but using that climate change as an example and how that's discussed in public media, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's interesting right now in Puerto Rico, especially because whether people want to believe in something like climate change or not, mm -hmm. We're hit with hurricanes. Mm -hmm. We're hit with earthquakes. And it's not going to stop anytime no. soon. Exactly. So these things are like literally smacking us on in the face. Mm -hmm. You know, if uh, if uh, natural disasters could have a chancleta, they're whacking us with it right now. <laughs> and they're course. telling us uh, we need to do something to better uh, fend and protect our earth. When I think about how the media portrays certain stories or issues to people in Puerto Rico, I start to think about things like like what I just mentioned, equal footing, uh, propaganda. Um, and I'd imagine it's hard for people to form uh, strong opinions that are based, in fact, on La Ila. But mm -hmm. in, for all the things we just mentioned and how they're covered, whether it's uh, the Ponce warehouses or even natural disasters, I wanted to get your opinion on what you feel the role of media outlets are and how they impact the citizens in Puerto Rico culturally and politically now since mm -hmm. so let's say pre-2017 to now because you, it's hard to hide that there's a warehouse full of supplies in Ponce <laughs> it's hard to hide an earthquake and the mm -hmm. issues that come with recovery and relief from that it's hard to hide those text messages mm -hmm. uh, so there are as the young people would say receipts you know mm -hmm. have the receipts uh, that you can point to uh, do you feel like since uh, it's been harder to kind of hide or use spin to mm -hmm. um, present these things in a good light. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like the media has impacted positively the way people on La Ila uh, interact politically? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that 
um, journalists have a social responsibility mm -hmm. with you know the audience and the public they serve mm -hmm. and that responsibility is to just um, give out information with justice you know just be just with information objectivity is sometimes um, unfeasible especially as we said when we have those economic and political interests that push those editorial lines and, you know, sort of um, lean the information into the red or the blue corner, right? Mm -hmm. But as I said, when you are a journalist, you sometimes you don't even agree with your boss in their political leaning, mm -hmm. but you are working, right? And when you cover events in justicia, right, you cover trying to be just with that information, with that victim. And as you say, you know, these things are hard to hide. People are not as gullible with propaganda anymore. Some are. Some still are. Some still believe, you know, um, politicians. But I think that um, just having this information constantly you know the internet has uh, promoted uh, that we are always connected and that we're always seeking and scrolling down to see okay let let's refresh this feed to see what what's new so information is something that we need always and you know politicians cannot keep up with that journalists uh, have that uh, responsibility um, with their public to try to be truth, truthful and be transparent mm -hmm. and just say things as they are. And when they see wrongdoing, they have, you know, it's, it's important to denounce it and to say, okay, so this is, this is happening. Now, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Are you going to go out and protest? Are you going to vote differently? So that is uh, our responsibility, our, our journalist responsibility uh, with the audience. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based grassroots educational health and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you.
how do we cut through a lot of the propaganda and a lot of the opinion programming? How do we get to the facts? Uh, and I think a lot of that comes down to who you follow, whether you're following somebody on Twitter, you're following certain articles online, certain publications. You mentioned three journalists in particular. You mentioned Luis, Jesus, and Ismael. Mm-hmm. Are there any other journalists that you would recommend to our listeners that are doing really good reporting uh, that is based in ethics um, Mm -hmm. on Puerto Rico? I would say definitely follow the Centro de Periodismo Investigativo. Uh, And as they say, we just do the research, we put that information out there, and we wait for other outlets to pick it up. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that is a start of many, many um, good uh, news, uh, verified news that are mm-hmm. coming out from Puerto Rico. I would also say that Metro um, newspaper, it's a San Juan-based newspaper, it doesn't necessarily do a lot of investigative journalism, mm-hmm. but when it does, um, it's it's really good. And they were tracking, for example, corruption in the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were uh, behind uh, ex-secretary Julia Kelleher mm-hmm. when finally, you know, it exploded. And um, I believe she resigned, right, from that position? She, or she got charged, there was charges she was brought charged. against her, right? Yes. Yeah, the FBI has uh, arrested her twice. First, uh, the day before the chat Mm -hmm. um, broke out, and then recently um, she was arrested again. Mm -hmm. That is what what journalism does, right? Mm -hmm. You just put that information out there and wait for the authorities and wait for the people you know, who have to do something about it to do something about it. That's that's meaningful journalism. And also, um, El Periódico La Perla del Sur, it's a, um, a newspaper in Ponce, and they are also doing a lot of great um, investigative journalism. They were the ones that were covering the ash, uh, the dumping of the rock ash in Peñuelas. I don't think I've heard you, this story. Uh, well, this carbon-powered plant called A- AES, mm-hmm. Applied Energy Systems, they uh, had a plant near a community in Peñuelas, and they were dumping uh, rock ash. I think that this um, coal plant Everything that came from the PREPA, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Puerto Rico Power Authority, um, that was based on coal, they were processing there. Mm-hmm. But that was causing a lot of um, problems, respiratory problems uh, to the people in that community in Peñuelas. So activists in the community uh, started you know, pro- protesting in 2016. Mm-hmm. And that protest was highlighted first by this media outlet in Ponce. In, in, this, in the southern part of, of Puerto Rico, and then it became covered. And I think in, in 2019, um, the Department of Natural Resources fined, finally, uh, uh, that uh, carbon power plant um, for, you know, just not meeting the pollution standards. levels, yeah, yeah standards. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was also his, uh, the name of the journalist is Omar Alfonso. So um, I would say that you could follow him also, uh, recommendations that I would give. And, you know, just watch for your information diet. As you say, the person that you follow, make sure that he verifies that information. It's not that you put that information out first. It's that you verify and you put out good information for people to make decisions. How do you, do you have any recommendations for people that consume media? What are some best practices that they should do in order to not get tricked by by fake news? 
I would say you would always have to look at your stores. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when you're in social media, uh, you see this very um, um, sensationalized um, titular, um, how do you say? Titles, headlines. Headlines, mm -hmm. you see this very sensational, he sensationalized headline and you go like, and that, that's clickbait, mm -hmm. right? So you have to see um, what publication wrote it if it has an author, um, and if it, and who is talking in that in that uh, story? Because journalists don't talk for themselves; they cite, right? They 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 reference a source. So you have to see all of that. You know, what kind of publication is it? If it has an author, and who is speaking in that story? Yeah. Last question I have for you: You mentioned the story of the dumping of ash in Benuelas, Benuelas right? Yes. In Benuelas. Uh, so. That just brought another question to my head. Uh -huh. Are there any stories coming out right now that are being covered in Puerto Rico that maybe have not reached mainland, the mainland United States that you think we should be paying attention to? Um, lately, I would say that we have to be um, aware of the what is being, I would say, uh, uh, treated in the news is the uh, report of the Department of Justice mm. on the warehouses. Also, um, in, in the case of Alexa, you know, I would say that that is something that we need to follow closely um, because it has to do with a marginalized group and how we as a society, you know, um, deal with people that are just different and who think differently from us. I would say also that we have to be attentive to how the government is handling the coronavirus. And our health system is not the best. And we proved that during the emergency of Hurricane Maria. Mm -hmm. So if that were to happen in Puerto Rico, I mean, we have to hold our health uh, department officials accountable about how the treatment is going to be done uh, to the people that are, if, they, if that reaches uh, the island of the, if the Wow, that would, be, that would be terrifying. I remember hearing <laughs> stories after Hurricane Maria about people in Vieques having to, their hospital was not non-existent, destroyed, and then they had to wait to get on a boat to get to the island to wait again and hopefully maybe be seen that day, maybe not, and then try to figure it out from there. And recently, a few weeks ago, a girl um, mm -hmm. died because they didn't have basic um, equipment in that hospital, if you could call it a hospital. Mm -hmm. And there was not a, an ambulancia aérea. It was not yeah. available to come to the to the big island. So mm. that girl died because of that negligence. Oh so Vieques is something that we can, we have to also mm -hmm. um, look closely because, I mean, uh, I, I see Vieques and I think about Operación Drácula and, you know, how mm -hmm. there's always an interest of taking people out of Vieques and, you oh, know, yeah. just making it... Um, a, a paradise for mm -hmm. people that want to invest um, right. in that island right. and taking the people out of their rightful, rightfully owned lands. I would definitely add that as a story to the gentrification efforts of La Isla. Yeah. Right? Just paying attention to that. It's, 
It's yeah. pretty scary stuff to think that one day it might not be a majority of Boricuas that inhabit that island. Mm-hmm. I and mean, if we're not careful. Of course. If we're not yes, careful. I mean, same thing with coronavirus. Like, I remember when the earthquakes hit, the government literally said they don't have a plan for, for uh, earthquake response. Mm-hmm. So I am terrified of the coronavirus outbreaking on La Isla because if they didn't have a plan for earthquakes, they don't uh, have a they, plan for anything. Yeah, it's like... And journalists have been pushing for that. So mm-hmm. what is the plan? What is the protocol right. for hurricanes? For, you know, and well, you know, you have to keep pushing and hold people responsible, accountable. Okay, well, Dr. Yadira Nieves Pizarro, you have an event to go speak at in a few minutes. I want to be respectful of your time, but if you could leave us and our listeners with how we can follow you. Do you have a website, social media? How can we keep up with your work? Well, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, my um, handle is YG Nieves, um, Y-G Nieves. And I also have a blog at yadira.nieves.wordpress.com. Perfect. Yeah, Dira, thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> thank you. Special thanks to Dr. Yadira Nieves Bisado for coming on the show. As a reminder, we are back with new episodes starting August 27th, so stay tuned for new content. We'll also have a couple of fun announcements to share that week, too. As always, Keep up with us on our Facebook and Twitter pages at Baseo Podcast and visit our website, baseomedia.org. Until then, stay safe and healthy out there, everybody. Support one another as best you can. I know this continues to be a difficult time and an ever-evolving situation across the board, but we'll get through this together. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at baseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate.